All right. Well, hey, good morning. morning. As always, so glad to be here with you worshiping Jesus this morning. My name is Tad Anderson. I am the lead pastor of this church, and so welcome to church this morning. Um, In case you have missed it, or uh, if this is your first time with us by chance, uh, we are officially changing our name And we are in the process of rebranding from Mosaic Church to the Hub City Church. And we, yes, thank you somebody. We will be officially the Hub City Church uh, when we reach the month of April. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to relaunch around that time frame, around Easter. Also, our 15-year anniversary as a church is April 15th, so it seemed like a good time to us. It's a kind of a long story on why, but the simplest explanation is that um, we don't ever want our name to be a hindrance to anyone coming through our doors to hear the gospel and the word of God proclaimed. And um, that name, Mosaic, uh, was a bit confusing for folks um, historically. I won't explain all that. Now, if you'd like to ask later, I'll tell you. But anyway, um, the Hub City Church is not confusing. We are a local expression of Jesus' church for the Hub City, for Crestview. And our vision is staying exactly the same because we're the same church. We're still striving to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word, all right? So we're, we're rolling on that. Things are moving right along, as has already been alluded to in the beginning of this service. Um, so we're changing things over administratively, but we've also got a lot of um, you know, work projects and things. Um, just a celebration, as of Friday, our shirts are ordered, all our merch is ordered, so that's good. If you pre-ordered some of that, it's uh, in the process of being uh, made, however they stamp that stuff on there, so that's being done, that's good. Um, if you did not pre-order, that's okay, we ordered more, so... Um, <laughs> When you inevitably decide those are cool shirts and you want one, there will be some. So um, anyway, uh, also our our workday schedule has commenced. And um, man, like Amy said, yesterday was our our first Saturday workday and it was just, it was great. Um, We had just an amazing team of volunteers um, who got a ton of work done in our parking lot, as you saw, as well as in our lobby. There's some things And a few of the projects, you know, it may look like it was simple, and I assure you it was not. Some of these things we did the hard way, Um, but anyway, so, but yeah, to to all who came out, seriously, you guys are legit. We literally could not have done that without you. Uh, To those who could not make it, there will be more work days. So uh, every Saturday of this month of March, we'll be up here working on things, and um, also on Tuesday evenings from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., we'll have a list of kind of like miscellaneous projects um, that we need to knock out. So if you'd like to come work on that, um, we'd, love to ha- we'd love to have you help us for that as well um, as we get our facilities all ready to go for Easter. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really it for the rebranding stuff. Today, after service, uh, we will be having a hospitality interest meeting. And so if you are, if you fit one of these categories, I'm going to hit everybody here. If you're uh, currently on the hospitality team, If you've just started serving on the hospitality team, if you'd like to serve on the hospitality team, which you should like to do that, um, please join us for that. Um, We'll share the values of the team and just the importance of the hospitality team in the life of our church. And um, man, really, the best thing of all, my wife leads that team. 
So she would love to get you on board and get you into the Sunday morning serve rotation, all right? Um, <clears throat> the last thing um, is child dedication. So uh, Mosaic believes strongly that children are one of the most joyous blessings from God. And so we take seriously our call as parents to shepherd our children's hearts toward knowing and loving Jesus. Child dedications then are a time where parents commit themselves before God and their brothers and sisters in Christ to raise up their children in the love and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Simultaneously, this is an opportunity when we do this in service, um, it's an opportunity for uh, the corporate body of believers to affirm their commitment through prayer and agreement uh, to be of help and encouragement however they can along the way. Um, As parents, uh, we need other parents. Uh, as parents, we need um, you know, the Steve Meissners of the church to run around you know, with our kids after service while we have meetings and things like that. You know, we, we need the, the body of believers to, to help us as we raise our kids. And so um, anyway, if you're interested in having one of your children dedicated, usually uh, it's a lot of babies, but it's certainly not just reserved for babies. We'll uh, be having a special time of child dedication <clears throat> next Sunday, March 12th, in the beginning of service. And um, all we need you to do, if you'd like to be a part of that, is fill out the form that is on, uh, should be on our social media platforms as well as on the Church Center app. Fill that out. And then if you will, email a picture, a current picture of your child to uh, kids at mosaiccrestview.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to celebrate and link arms with you as we all commit to raising our children to believe the good news of the gospel together. Um, If you do decide to dedicate your child, there will be a special gift for you and for your family, we'd like to give to you. So make sure to sign up, okay, so we can uh, get you included in that. Okay. All right. Anyway, so uh, (laughs) with that, next week, I'll fill you in on all the Easter stuff, okay? There's a lot of Easter stuff. I know you're like, what about that? Well, I'll tell you next week, okay? Let's get past child dedications, and then we'll, we'll lay out the plan for Easter. We do have a lot of exciting stuff planned, so I'll lay that out next week. All right. We are uh, forging ahead today in our sermon series through the book of Proverbs called Get Wisdom. And as I've said each week, Proverbs is such an important book within the biblical canon uh, that all of us should be consistently drawing from because it aids us greatly in our spiritual growth, specifically um, growth in wisdom uh, in day-to-day Christian living. Proverbs is a very practical book, and if you're just now tuning in, we've been uh, doing our best to lay the contextual groundwork uh, over these first few weeks of the series. Uh, Those are available online if you'd like to catch up on those, but First, we uh, contrasted the difference between wisdom and folly. A couple weeks ago, Tristan McIntyre did a a fantastic job explaining the concept of fear of the Lord, which we learned is literally the beginning of wisdom. And then last week, we covered the the kind of monumental concept of the heart and identified um, that the heart, when referenced by Scripture, is uh, kind of the, the causal core of our personhood. So everything we think and say and do, it flows out of our hearts. And so today, we're going to move on to another topic that is very prevalent in Proverbs. And before we do that, let's pray, uh, and then I'll, I'll bring you in on that. Father, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful day that you have made The great weather is a reminder to us of the sweet and enjoyable providences you just continually and 
often surprisingly make for us in this life. But most of all, we rejoice in the beauty, not of what is happening outside, but what is happening in this room. Men and women gladly singing and worship unto you for your grace in our lives that you poured out to us so lavishly in the gospel and in the person and work of your Son, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. God, as always, I pray that he would be central in all that we are doing in our service today. And now as we open your word and discuss uh, somewhat of a a challenging topic from Proverbs and and really all throughout Scripture, would you help us to see that the, the way forward in greater maturity and humility is in meditation on that gospel that just progressively incinerates pride and injects a desire to live our lives in greater and greater submission to the authority of Christ as we strive to serve him and others. God, would I decrease today? And Lord Jesus, would love and trust and joy in you increase among these men and women for your glory and for their joy. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Okay. Well, as I said uh, at the beginning of this series, um, in in January, we kind of had a time that we spent in the book of Acts, and we talked about kind of the the external uh, numeric growth of a church. And uh, now this time we're spending in Proverbs is about... Uh, internal spiritual growth of the church, if you recall me saying that. Um, And and biblically, there's a a big uh, fancy theological term for spiritual growth. Maybe you have heard it. Uh, It's called sanctification. Okay, Sanctification. And if you were to define sanctification, it really has two parts, okay? And those, those two parts have fancy names, as well, let me tell you them, and then I'll define them for you. Uh, the first one is vivification, with a V, vivification. This is the, the kind of the, the positive side of sanctification. It's the process of growing or increasing in what is good, so righteousness and, and Christ-likeness, okay? The second piece is mortification, mortification, and where vivification is growing and increasing in what is good, mortification is the negative side or the decreasing in what is bad, right? Folly, sin, okay? And we've already begun to hit on vivification. We've discussed things like wisdom and fear of the Lord, humility, and so forth. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later in this series. But today... We're beginning four weeks where we're going to identify four of the most common and destructive, um, deadly, if you will, sins, so that we can grow in the wisdom of identifying them and uprooting them from our hearts, okay? Um, Because Jesus says in in Matthew 15, we read this last week, that, that when sin overflows from our hearts, as it tends to do, it defiles us, he says, right? That means it, it hurts and, and tends to disgrace us, and, and we want to minimize that, right? 
I, I want to minimize that in my life. Um, so uh, identifying sin, uprooting sin, and killing sin is a big piece of our, our sanctification, our spiritual growth. And Proverbs is really helpful in naming and describing common sins so that we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, stop doing them. Okay? Um, This probably could go without saying, but um, just for clarity, Scripture does tell us that um, we are never going to be um, totally without sin on this side of eternity. All right? Um, That won't happen until we see Jesus face to face. That's what the Bible tells us, okay? Um, He he is going to complete that work in the end when he returns. But on this side, um, we're not going to get to perfection here. um, But uh, we can grow, right? We, We can grow in this life and get better at figuring our sin patterns out and by God's grace, cutting them off before they cause more problems for us, okay? Um, and today, I figured, just so you know, I'm playing this series months ago. Um, we, we have our preaching calendar written like six months in advance, but when I, I did that, I figured, you know, why not start, if we're going to talk about sin for a few weeks, why not start with the biggest sin of all, right? Why not start with the big one? I think um, if we get that one out of the way, um, all the other ones will actually make better sense. And the sin that I'm referring to is the sin of pride, okay. sin of pride. Proverbs has a lot to say about pride, but um, in chapter 21, it's identified as what it is. Uh, Proverbs 21.4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. So uh, pride is sin, but I, you know, I, I don't just... I don't mean like your son or daughter comes home with straight A's on their credit or on their not their credit card. Hope they don't have a credit card on their on their report card. Hopefully, if you give them a credit card, they have straight A's and they're not spending their balance. But anyway, I'm not saying like your kid comes home with straight A's on their report card, and so you're you're proud of them. Uh, sometimes we use the word pride as just a kind of a, a happy feeling that we have for someone when we see that they've done something well, right? Um, That's not the connotation I'm referring to. Uh, Let me tell you what kind of pride I'm talking about. I'm referring to pride as the Bible describes it. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, describes biblical pride um, like, like this. He says, There's one vice of which no man in the world is free which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. And get this definition. He says, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. This, in my opinion, um, is one of the best definitions of pride that I know of from one of the most insightful Christian authors of all time. And so from his definition, here's, here's kind of my overarching idea today. Um, the essential vice, the utmost evil, undergirding and fueling all other sin is pride. It thinks, 
I don't need anyone else, especially not God. Now, let me clarify something really important to understand before we launch into giving some more qualifying aspects of pride. Pride is sneaky. Okay, Pride is sneaky. Um, by nature, pride never wants to be discovered. It never wants to be found out. This is why C.S. Lewis said that it's, it's something that everyone can very quickly identify in others, but that's very challenging to see in ourselves because we don't want to. We don't want to. No one wants to believe that they are prideful. Everyone wants to believe that they are humble. And that is key to being able to assess pride in our lives. The truth is, again, as Lewis says, uh, pride is underneath all of the other sins. It's the kind of the foundation of all sin, so to speak. Um, why, did, why did Adam and Eve sin in the garden? Well, because... The enemy, Satan, disguised as a serpent, he, he tempted them, right? You know this story? You've read the first few chapters of the Bible? Okay. Um, so so how, how did he tempt them? With the forbidden fruit, right? But how did he talk them into eating what they knew they had been explicitly warned not to eat? Well, it's because Satan lied to them. He's a liar, right? But he told them that if they ate the fruit, what would happen? They would become like God. Right? This is the temptation under all pride. It's subtle. We would never admit it. But every instance of pride in our lives, it flows out of the sinful delusion that we don't really need God because we can be like him ourselves. That's why the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden is often referred to as the original sin, right? Because every other sin that comes after it is birthed out of it. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are... There is no God. Again, notice this is not talking about what the prideful person says. Right? A prideful religious person is too smart to ever verbalize that he thinks that there's no God. Right? But pride tends to conceal itself in our thoughts. That's what this verse says, right? In our thoughts and in our motives. Um, pride, just so you know, pride is, is not necessarily seen in immoral living so much as it's seen in atheistic living. Okay? Living as though one has no need for the help of God or for anyone else. And, and please understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that in their pride... Even professing Christians sometimes live in a form of practical atheism. Okay. To quote the prophet Isaiah, here's, here's what the practical atheism of professing Christians looks like. He says, they honor God with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from him. Right? So they attend church, do good deeds, 
serve, give, and so forth, but they have no depth of relationship with the living God, no zeal, no passion for Christ. You see, religious pride is perhaps the, is perhaps the, the worst kind of pride. This is why Jesus um, gives the Pharisees such a hard time, right? Because they could say all the right things, but they had no true love for people, and they had no true love for God, right? This is a dangerous thing, pride, particularly in, in religious people like, like us. And when unchecked, it will lead to many other varieties of sin. So let's, let's do this, okay? Two things. First, let's do a flyover. Let's do a flyover view um, uh, just of a few key components of pride. And then <clears throat> let's end our time today by discussing a few important measures um, that we should be taking to subvert or uproot pride in our lives, okay? Anybody want to uproot pride out of your life? I, I do. I want to do that. Okay, so um, now here's, here's the last qualifier that I, I want to get out on the table before we get into all these aspects of pride. Um, pride, it starts as a hard-hearted posture toward God, right? But usually, the way we see pride is when it's fleshed out in our dealings with other people, Okay. So um, each of these qualities of pride that I'll mention, I think you'll see, um, they, they start fundamentally as an issue in our relationship with the Lord, um, thinking that we don't need him, right? But a prideful heart before God is going to wreak havoc in our relationships with others, okay? Because uh, a prideful person is going to always see themselves as superior to others, right? And if, if someone sees themselves as fundamentally better than or smarter than or more talented than everyone else, um, it, it's going to be impossible for them to not wind up with strained relationships, right? So um, let's, let's read a few really insightful verses from Proverbs chapter 30, and we'll, we'll kind of tease this apart and to, to see these um, different facets of pride. Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 14 says this. It says, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy. From among mankind. Now, I would like to put forward to you today from these verses, okay, as other Bible teachers before me have done, okay, this is not unique to me, but that each of these verses identifies an aspect of pride, okay? Um, it may not be readily apparent, uh, but I think as we go through them, it's gonna begin to make sense. Each verse begins with the phrase, there are those who. Right. There are those who, and then it goes on to elaborate on some uh, behavioral quality, okay? Um, the first one, <clears throat> verse 11 says, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Now, what would this have to do with pride? Well, um, in, in Christian parenting, I would argue 
that one of the very first things that parents should be aiming to teach their children by about age five or so, um, along with love, along with grace, which are, are very important and foundational, but just as important, just as foundational, Christian parents are to teach their children that they are under authority. Okay? Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? I do not mean that parents are to be harsh authoritarians. It's not what I mean. I mean that one of the most important things that we convey to our children is that they and we as their parents and really everyone in the world are meant to live under God's authority. In other words, we are to live with a worldview that believes God is in control. God is in charge, and I am not. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It is a good thing for human beings who are made in the image of God, for the glory of God, to live under the authority of God. That's a good thing. Now, I know because of some of these cultural things in our time, Some people tend to get um, a a little skittish when they hear the word authority, but please stay with me, okay? Authority that is wielded lovingly by God and by people who are in earthly positions of power, who who know and fear God, it's actually a good thing, right? Um, Governing authorities, when they are merciful and just, are a good thing, right? The authority of a kind and servant-hearted teacher or a boss is a good thing, amen? Who doesn't love having a good boss, right? And the authority of loving parents who are following Christ is a good thing. It's a good thing. God means for authority to be a good thing. He's at the top, okay? With all, what does Jesus say? With all authority, over heaven and earth, right? And then all earthly authority flows from him for the sake of good order and the flourishing of human society, okay? Now, sure, I understand that breaks down, okay, sometimes because of of sin. I'm just telling you how how it's meant to work in God's design, okay? That said, here is the fundamental aspect of pride that we draw from Proverbs 30, verse 11. Hatred of authority. Hatred of authority. Because pride, as we've said, is the anti-God state of mind. It, It naturally follows that prideful people loathe the notion that they are under anyone's authority other than their own. Okay, Pride cannot stand to be told what to do. It bristles under that. It it rails against authority. Pride thinks it should be telling everyone else what to do, never the other way around. Because it hates authority. It hates authority. That's why verse 11 says, Prideful people curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Because our earthly parents are the first gracious authority that we are under in our lives. 
We read this verse in week one, but the discussion of pride requires it again. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So pride is foolish too, right? And prideful people never think, because they're foolish, they never think that they're in need of instruction, Because prideful people always assume that they know better than anyone else what's best for them. Okay, Never mind what Scripture has to say right, about our intrinsic need for the will of God and uh, uh, the community of others to aid us, to help us in life. Um, Prideful people think they have got it all together all the time, right? It's impossible to tell prideful people anything that they don't think they already know. Now, again, remember, pride is sneaky, okay? So usually, prideful people will not outright admit, just like they won't say they hate God, they won't say they hate authority, right? Just like they won't say there's no God, they will not say, yeah, I really hate it when people tell me what to do, right? But here's what they do, okay? Here's what they do. They set up their lives where there is no one who they allow to speak authoritatively to them. Right? Are you following me? They don't ever ask for input or counsel from others before they do whatever it is they want to do. They just do it. They just do it. Right? And if anyone ever does try to speak into their life, they usually feel offended that anyone would presume to give them advice because prideful people don't think they need advice from anyone. Here's another thing prideful people do, or I should say don't do. Prideful people don't pray prayers of desperation very often. Prideful people don't pray prayers of desperation very often. I'm not saying that prideful people don't pray at all. Um, They sometimes do, but their prayers are usually very self-glorifying, right? Uh, prideful people are, are rarely praying prayers on their faces where they're crying out to God for his help and his direction. Prideful people uh, do not live as though they're dependent on God, and so the extent of their prayers tends to be asking God to just bless whatever it is they want. That's kind of their way of praying, right? They're just, you know, I'm, how can I say this? The prayer language of, of the prideful is, my will be done, not thy will be done. Does that make sense? Because they don't really view God as their divine authority, who they should submit to and listen to. They view God more like a cosmic genie who only exists to give them endless blessings, right? So that's the first and most fundamental thing about pride. It it hates authority. Now, I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand here, but I just want you to be honest with yourself um, in your own heart if... I understand that's a hard thing. The heart is a complex uh, thing, so I know this is tough, but I just want to kind of run through these questions with you. Um, How do you feel about authority? Do do you kind of like puff up inside when someone gives you instruction or advice? Do you avoid having people in your life who can actually tell you anything? Do you pray dependent prayers? Or are all your prayers... Just prayers asking for God to give you whatever you want. This is 
really convicting because um, I know I still have a lot of room to grow based on those questions. I, I, I know, as a pastor, right? I mean, uh, I know that God is my authority, but if I could just be really transparent with you, um, knowing that and living it out are two different things. Um, so if you're, if you're sensing some pride in yourself here, and I welcome you to join the club. Okay? I'm perhaps the most prideful person that I know. And so we'll talk in just a bit about what we can do to get better at not being so prideful. Um, but all right, that's, that's the first component of pride that we can draw from Proverbs 30, verse 11. It, it hates authority. Okay, So let's move on to verse 12. Verse 12 says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. So um, here's the second component of pride, uh, and you can see how it kind of goes hand in hand with the first one, right? Um, pride tends to have a self-perceived infallibility. Self-perceived infallibility. Here's what I mean by that. Um, pride is very, emphasis on the very, Pride is very resistant to ever admitting that it is wrong about something. Okay? <clears throat> Prideful people tend to think that they're always right. And so they, they don't take well to correction. And while ironically, um, prideful people tend to be pretty good at pointing out the faults of others, right? We, C.S. Lewis says that. Um, they often perceive themselves to be infallible. That, that they're incapable of, of making mistakes. That's what infallibility would imply, right? That, they, that they're, they're perfect. Proverbs 30, verse 20 says, This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. This is the heart of pride. This is the heart of pride. It, it doesn't matter how obviously out of step it is with God or how obviously it may have sinned against others it refuses to admit fault, okay? Again, he, he, here's the tricky thing, okay? Now, please follow me here. Here's the tricky thing about religious pride, okay? Prideful religious people are usually fine with the concept, generally speaking, that they are sinners, but they tend to have a really hard time pinpointing any real sins that they've ever actually committed, right? So again, uh, just a, a few questions for sake of assessment. Um, when is the last time someone told you something unfavorable about yourself that you agreed with? When's the last time you were convicted, not just of the general fact that you're a sinner, but when was the last time you were convicted of an actual sin that you had committed? If you can't think of any, let me just gently suggest it's probably not because you're perfect. Okay? It might be because one of the sins you struggle with is pride. Again, I, I cannot preach this message and good conscience unless I tell you that this is not something that I have perfected, okay? It's not something I perfected. If you want to know, just ask my wife. She'll be glad to run you through a few things, perhaps even this week, okay? 
Um, she tends to be one of the ones lovingly appealing to me to repent of my sin, okay? Um, and that does not always happen as quickly and humbling as I would like to say it does, okay? Um, I, I tell you that so that you know I am not preaching this sermon to condemn anyone, but to lovingly appeal to us all, uh, myself as the foremost, to be mindful of the pride that tends to lurk in all of our hearts, okay? It usually looks like a self-perceived infallibility. It tends to look like not ever wanting to admit that we're wrong, okay? Okay, moving right along. Verse 13 says, there are those how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. This is imagery of a prideful person and the general air of arrogance that they tend to exude. So the third component of pride that I've put in your notes is incessant egotism. Incessant egotism. We've already touched on this, but prideful people are usually extremely self-focused, okay? Extremely self-focused. Um, ha have you ever been around someone who literally always turns every conversation that they are in back to themselves? You say, good morning. <laughs> they say, let me tell you about a really good morning I had recently, <laughs> right? <laughs> You say, well, um, I had pancakes for breakfast, and I love pancakes. And they say, let me tell you about how my mom makes the best pancakes. <laughs> you say, well, uh, yeah, I took my dog for a walk this morning. The weather was great. They say, let me tell you about my dog. Right. <laughs> Silly, I know, but... Um, this is like the, the incessant egotism of pride. Always thinking about and incessantly turning the attention back to self. You see, prideful people think very highly of, and so they love to talk about themselves, right? And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real paradox because... Um, on one hand, prideful people tend to only see themselves. But simultaneously, they, they have like this weird inability to see themselves like other people see them, right? And there's, there's like this real audacity to this aspect of pride too. And it, it, tends to, it tends to stir up conflict in the lives of prideful people, though they often don't realize that their pride is what's causing all of their conflicts, right? But when someone is very self-centered, um, it causes them to be pretty inconsiderate, and so they wind up doing and saying things that irk people, that wind up causing relational problems. Um, Proverbs 13.10 says, by insolence comes nothing but strife. You see, insolence is a kind of cockiness, that comes across as rude. And when someone is cocky or conceited, it rubs people the wrong way, right? It rubs people the wrong way. It makes relational waves. So, um, okay, let's, let's move on here. Components of pride. Hatred of authority, 
self-perceived infallibility, incessant egotism, and finally, verse 14 says, there are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. So the final piece that we see here about pride is that when it is full-blown, it will manifest okay, in a harmful lack of empathy. Okay? A harmful lack of empathy. In other words, um, pride, when unchecked, will tend not only to not care about others, but actually wind up wounding others and being indifferent to it. Okay? Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So um, again, because it's so self-focused and, and unable to see where it could be wrong, I mean, like, of course, pride is going to hurt people. It's going to hurt people with its careless words and its careless actions. Pride is so preoccupied with self, it cannot be bothered to consider how it might be making other people feel, right? It has a, a lack of empathy, and that lack of empathy tends to harm those who come in, into proximity to it, okay? All right. Whew, that was not easy. Um, thank you for not walking out. That's a... That's a brief flyover view of pride. And hopefully what you're thinking is that it's pretty icky, right? And it's incompatible with Christianity because it is, okay? Uh, and hopefully by God's grace, though it's, it's, it is tough to admit, hopefully you see at least a little bit of yourself in the midst of those characteristics, right? Because um, none of us are immune to pride, right? If it's the sin that's under all the other sins, then, then we all have it right? We all have it. And so if that's where you're at, and I hope it is, then let's spend the last few minutes discussing how we can fight, okay? How we can fight to uproot the sin of pride that we will inevitably find in ourselves if we're looking closely, okay? Um, three things. I could have gone, gone more than that, but um, let's, these are just kind of three foundational things, three ways, I think, um, biblically to eradicate pride, okay? Here's number one, die every day. Die every day. Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. I love what Christian rapper Lecrae said a while back. He said, every morning, I have to attend a funeral, my own. Right? Every day, I have to attend a funeral, my own. Friends, this is what Jesus calls us to. The call to follow Christ is a call to take up our crosses and die to ourselves. There is just... There's no way to stay prideful, okay? If you are starting every day in the Word of God, meditating on the grace of God, and giving thanks for the mercy of God toward you. Church, when a professing believer is characterized by pride, now I don't mean like you have 
instances where you see it or whatever. But if, if, if a professing believer is like characterized by pride, it is almost certainly because they are out of step with God and they're not in the word in any meaningful way. Okay, so um, if, if you want to get pride out of your life, do this, okay? Get out of bed every morning, brew your coffee, open your Bible, and be reminded that God is God and that you are not, okay? God is God and you are not, and resubmit yourself to his authority. I don't know about you, but I have to do this daily. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, it's not like, you know, an angel sitting. I'm, I know I'm a pastor, like, not like an angel there, like, playing a harp, you know, like, good morning, pastor, and I'm just like, ha ha, like, just like, <laughs> no, like, when I wake up in the morning, I may have fought tooth and nail to get the pride out of my life the day before, and it's back. It's back the next morning. It's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> you wake up, the same radio show's on, right? Like, it's the same thing. We have to resubmit ourselves to God's authority every day. We have to take up our cross and follow Jesus every single day, okay? And if you do this, it'll humble you. This, this humbles people, okay? So die every day. That's number one. Number two is... Give thought to your steps. I'm not saying like we're a Fitbit or something. Um, biblically, give, give thought to your steps. Okay, Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 21.29 says, A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. And this is... Really simple, but usually things that are really simple are not really easy, right? It's really simple, but I've tried to kind of, kind of do this throughout this message. But be willing, okay? If you want to get pride out of your life, be willing to think critically about yourself. Be willing to think critically about yourself. Pray and, and ask the Lord to, to help you be honest with yourself, and then ask, am I a prideful person? Do I bristle under authority? Do I act like I'm infallible? Do I often turn conversations back to myself? Do I ever consider how I might be making other people feel? If you want to uproot pride in your life, the first step is to be willing to see it if the Lord were to point it out, okay? That's the first step. Be willing. Be willing to see it, right? And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, like, for me, and, like, I think this is a normal experience, like, like, okay, Lord, like, if there be any grievous way in me, you know, like, if there be any, um, you know, pride in there that I'm, that it's, it's not readily seen, like, it's kind of like the Lord's going to be like, okay, you ready? You ready? Like, I'm going to pull the curtain. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, that's kind of what it's like. It doesn't feel good when the Lord points that out, but it is for our good in the long run. So give thought to your steps. And finally, 
consider and strive to emulate your Lord Jesus. Philippians 2 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We, we taught through Philippians a while back, and, and when we got to this passage, here's what we said. Okay, We said it's, it's not really possible to just decide to stop being prideful and to simply choose to be humble, okay? Because uh, humble is not something that we can uh, become through just, just saying we're going to do it. it. It only happens through meditation on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way true humility comes. So um, if, if you want to kill your pride, then consider this, Okay? That in an unfathomable act of mercy, the creator God saw you in utter despair in your sinful condition with presumably no way out but the justice of eternal wrath and death. And he determined to lay aside his rightful exaltation so that he could come down and serve you and me. We were created to serve him. And yet he determined to serve us, to be our servant by taking on human flesh, even to the point of enduring the curse of death. But not just any death, capital punishment in one of the most brutally inhumane forms known to, known to history. That's okay. Uh, crucifixion, right? Death on a Roman cross, from which we derive our, our English term excruciating and in the irony of ironies, the Son of God allowed sinful man to kill him for living as a sinless man. He did not count equality with God as a thing that we would be able to wrap our minds around. Instead, he emptied himself. Jesus poured himself out completely so that we might have life through the gift of his perfect life and the waver of God's wrath, which we deserved but that he absorbed in his substitutionary death. In other words, Jesus stood before God as if he were sinful like us so that we can now stand before God as though we have lived lives of perfect righteousness like him. Okay, This is the heart of the gospel. And it's the heart of the gospel because this is the heart of Jesus himself. This is who he is. This is what he's like. Though he had every right to stay enthroned in his glory and allow us to receive the punishment that we rightly earned with our sinful pride, he counted our needs more important than his well-deserved comfort. Okay? Guys, if you want pride to die, drag it 
to the foot of the cross. If you want pride to die, drag it to the foot of the cross and deeply consider the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think long and hard about the moral depravity of your sin and and pride to live as though you did not need God. Ponder the wrath of God that we deserve, the darkness and pain of eternal death and separation from all of his blessing forever. Sit in awe of the immensity of kindness and grace and mercy for the radiantly holy God to stoop down to the level of his creation and be so mistreated and despised by them. Try to imagine the great sorrow he must have felt as he heard the words chanted, crucify him by the very ones he came to save and the incredible level of love for us that he must have had. As his lungs were filled with blood, his entire body in shock from the agonizing pain, to pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Philippians 2 is about the perfect picture of humility, the the antithesis of pride, the incarnation of Jesus Christ enshrined for all eternity for our benefit. It's only through meditation on the realities of this passage that our pride is pummeled and we grow to become increasingly humble instead. You see, humility, like we said, it's not achieved. Humility is not achieved by just trying to be a, a nice guy or a nice gal, okay? Because true humility is not natural. It's supernatural, okay? It's not just a personality trait that you can determine to adopt. It's a total reestimation of your place in the universe. It begins with the realization, as Tim Keller says, that it took the death of the Lord of the universe to save you. It took the death of the Lord of the universe to save me. And in that realization, there's a genuine admission that you are not superior, and that you are not central, but Jesus is, okay? That gospel incinerates pride. It incinerates pride. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died to decimate our pride and to free us from living pridefully for ourselves so that we could live as we were actually created for him. And as a result, to humbly serve others as he did. So, I I encourage you this morning to start uprooting pride in your life if you're not already hard at work at it. I trust many of us are hard at work at it already. But the way you start is through these three things. Dying every day, giving thought to your steps, and then considering and striving to emulate our Lord Jesus. May this poem I read this week be our humble, pride-crushing cry. I will make this confession, although it hurts to do so. 
I'm a very skilled self-swindler. I'm very good at playing monkey games with my morality. All too often, I argue for righteousness that simply is not there. It's too easy for me to convince myself that the wrong that I have done is not so wrong after all. And as I work to minimize the gravity of my condition, I in turn devalue the grace that is my only hope of rescue, transformation, deliverance. Lord, please crush my heart with the guilt of my sin so that you may fill it once again with the glory of your redeeming grace. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know what to say. It's really hard to preach on pride because, God, I, I'm a man who continually struggles with pride. You know that full well, as do people who know me, God. And so my, my prayer today is that not that people heard me, not that I was clever in the way I said something, God, but that your Holy Spirit is working. Your Holy Spirit is working in all of our hearts as we take stock of the gospel, as we consider the person and work of Jesus Christ more and more each day, God, that you would humble us, that you would humble us, and that you would incinerate our pride. God, we need that. Pride is at the root of all of our other struggles, and so we need your help. We desperately need your help to uproot it from our hearts. Would you be gracious to us and be kind to us, Lord, and help us do that so that we can more so reflect your glory to this world as you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.